Let's open the Bible this morning and turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 7. John 7, we'll read two sections out of this lengthy chapter. We'll begin with verses 1 through 14. And then we'll jump ahead to verse 31. The verses in between describing the disputation between Jesus and the Jews. We'll pick up the reading at verse 31 and then read to the end of our text, which is 37 through 39. So, beginning with 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly." If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him for Some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now we'll skip ahead to verse 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? And the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come? Now these last three verses are the text, which I will not reread, 37 through 39. In the last day, That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, 
As the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the inspired and infallible Word of God. May he bless the reading of it to our hearts. 37 through 39, the text. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus spoke these words of the text at the Feast of Tabernacles. The text begins, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast. And if we go back to verse 2, that feast is identified as the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year the Jews were required to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate three significant feasts. And the last of them that came last in the calendar year was this one called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or sometimes also called the Feast of Ingathering. And when the Jews went up to Jerusalem for this great feast, they would make two main confessions. Number one, look at all we have. Our God is so, so good unto us. This was the Feast of Ingathering. It was celebrated at the end of the harvest season for a full week. Not only had the first fruits been gathered in, but the full harvest, the bounties of the earth. They were stored up in the storehouses. And the Israelites looked at all that God had given them. And with joyful hearts, they went up to the temple to celebrate the Feast of Ingathering. So, so good is our God to us. Look what we have But secondly, they confessed, our God has always been good to us. The most distinctive characteristic of this feast is indicated by its name, tabernacles or booths. For the Israelites were required to take tree branches, sticks, and build these little huts around Jerusalem and by their homes. And for a full week during the duration of the feast, they would not live in their own homes but they would live in these little huts. And when the children would ask, why do we have to live in this this little fort? Why can't we live in our house? Then the parents would explain to their children, we're remembering and we're celebrating what our God did for our fathers when they lived for 40 years in the wilderness and they didn't have a house. In fact, they didn't have anything. They didn't even have water. There was no lake or river or stream not even a drop of rain. So where did they get water from? Well, God caused the rock to open up and it gushed forth with water in every way He cared for them. Now we're going to live in this little hut for a week and celebrate how good our God has always been to us, His people. So for the whole week, they lived in their huts. Every day they would go to the temple, bring their sacrifices of praise, their animal offerings, and celebrate the goodness of God. Joyful celebration was the Feast of Tabernacles. And now, that feast is being celebrated, according to John chapter 7, during the days of Jesus. And at this particular celebration of the feast, something happened that had never happened before. 
on the last day, says the text. This is not only the last feast of the year, bringing all those feasts to its climax. This is the last day of the last feast. That great day of the feast when every heart is to be lifted up as never before to the praise and adoration of God in heaven. Right at that time, all of a sudden, a man stands up in the crowd and he starts crying. Me, me, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink of me, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Isn't he lovely? This is the Christ, the Christ of God, the Christ of the gospel, the Christ of the feast. The Christ of all the pictures, the, the, the ceremonies of the old dispensation, all of them come to their fulfillment in Him. He stands up and makes this marvelous promise during the last day of the feast. Do you have rivers of living water flowing out of your belly? I have a belly. And so do you. Now, do you have rivers flowing out of your belly? This is the promise of the Lord Jesus. It's a Pentecost promise that's fulfilled in the Holy Spirit. Let's consider it this Pentecost Sunday, taking as our theme, rivers flowing from the belly. Let's look first of all at the peculiar promise, second, the stirring call, and third, the wonderful fulfillment. When Jesus promises rivers flowing from the belly, He's promising the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 38, He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then the inspired writer John gives this parenthetical remark of explanation in verse 39, saying, but this spake he of the Spirit. Jesus is promising the Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The Feast of Tabernacles is not realized in physical meats and grains and offerings. It's realized in the Spirit. At this point in, his, in history, the Holy Spirit was not yet. Verse 39, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. That word given is italicized. Literally, we read that the Holy Ghost was not yet. That is a peculiar statement. When the text says that the Holy Ghost was not yet, it is not referring to the existence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come into existence. There has never been a time when the Holy Spirit is not, for the Holy Spirit is as eternal as the Father and the Son, not His existence. Neither is the text referring to the operations of the Holy Spirit as if He was not yet operating. The Holy Spirit has always been operating eternally in the Godhead and 
right at the beginning of God's creation of the world. Genesis 1 verse 2. It was the Spirit who was moving upon the face of the waters. And all through the Old Testament, there were believers. And the only way there could ever be a believer is if the Holy Spirit was working faith in hearts. He's always been in existence. He's always been operating. So what does it mean when the text says that the Holy Ghost was not yet? It means that the Holy Spirit had not yet come as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. In that sense, He was not yet. That is the explanation given in the text. Verse 39, For this spake He of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So that even as we can say in the old dispensation, Christ was not yet. Because the Son of God had not yet come into our flesh in the incarnation through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Christ was not yet. So we can say that in the old dispensation, the Spirit was not yet because the Spirit had not yet come as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. When Jesus stands up in the tabernacle at this feast, He's still in the state of humiliation. He's still laboring and toiling to accomplish all of our redemption. He's still suffering. And He will have to suffer all the way to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. And He will die on that cross. But after He finishes all of His suffering, then God will glorify Him. When God raises him from the dead on the third day, and God will lift him all the way up into the highest heavens and exalt him at his right hand, and God will give him the reward of the third person of the Trinity so that the exalted man, Jesus Christ, will receive the Holy Spirit as his own spirit, and then, Pentecost, he will pour out that spirit upon his church. And it's at that point that the Holy Ghost is. That the Holy Ghost comes as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. At this point in history, He had not yet come as the Spirit of the glorified Christ. So Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. And what a gracious promise this will be because no one will do any works of the law to receive the Spirit. He's freely given. And he will be freely received by faith. So that Jesus says in verse 39, rather the inspired John says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. And so on. What a gracious promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is promising that when the Spirit is received by believers as his Spirit, then out of believers, the Holy Spirit will flow as rivers of living water. Verse 38, He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. The Spirit is likened unto rivers of living water. Living water. The Spirit is not death, and He's not like death, and He's not like dirty, stagnant, murky waters of a swamp. 
He's like crystal clear, refreshing streams from a mountain spring. Because to have the Spirit is to have life with God. He's like living waters. And the text speaks of the Spirit as rivers of living waters. Now, we could say that in the old dispensation, the Spirit was working, He was operating, but but He was given to the church as a little trickle. And now, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes not as a stream or even as one river singular, but as many mighty rivers of living water. Poured out in rich abundance. And now Jesus is promising that the Spirit, as rivers of living water, will flow out of the believer. And that's the most peculiar aspect of the teaching of the text. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's not peculiar that the Holy Spirit flows. Now, the more technical term we use in theology is procession. The Holy Spirit proceeds. He's always proceeding. In the eternal triune Godhead, it's the Spirit who flows or proceeds from the Father to the Son and from the Son to the Father. We confess in the Nicene Creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceedeth, that is, who floweth from the Father and the Son. But that's not all. On the great wonder of Pentecost, God will cause the Holy Spirit to come flowing out of heaven and into the church. And this is the promise then we all expect Jesus to make at the feast. He that believeth on me shall be refreshed and satisfied because he will have the Holy Spirit flowing unto him. Just like that rock at Meribah, Water came out of that rock and flowed unto the Israelites. My Holy Spirit will come and will flow unto you. That's what we expect. But the peculiar promise of the text of Jesus is that when we receive Him and we receive His Spirit and all the refreshing satisfaction in His Spirit, then that Spirit will actually flow out of us. The Spirit will proceed out of us. And what is that? Very really, very practically, very concretely, what is it when the Holy Spirit flows out of you like rivers of living water? Well, of course, that's a testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the Spirit of Christ. We are believers who belong to Jesus Christ. And the Spirit always works with the Word. So when the Spirit comes out of you, it's a joyful testimony of Jesus Christ. Think of Paul and Silas in prison. They've been beaten. They're bloodied. It's midnight. And nobody's expecting this. But all of a sudden, they start singing of the greatness of their God and their Savior crucified and raised from the dead. We could say that flowing through that prison was the Spirit as rivers of living water coming right out of Paul and Silas. And what did you hear when the Spirit was flowing? You hear of the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. Now even more peculiar 
is the teaching of the text that the Spirit will flow out of our belly. Not out of the heart, not out of the soul, not out of the mouth, says the text, but, verse 38, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly does not refer to the place of food digestion. Neither does it refer to the womb, the place of the beginning of life. But, and this is not a surprise to the Jew, according to the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, the belly is the place of intense feeling. So that, for example, in Habakkuk 3 verse 16, the prophet says that, In the day of trouble, it wasn't his heart, it wasn't his soul, but he says, my belly trembled. I I could feel the trouble deep in my belly. Intense feeling, and that's not, not surprising to us because we will speak of having a gut feeling. Or when you're really nervous, I was so nervous, we say. I had to go up and play my piece for the piano recital. I had to stand up in front of everyone and speak. I had to pray. I was so nervous, I was sick to my I was sick to my stomach. You feel that? I feel that. Where do you feel? I feel that in my stomach. That's the place of intense feeling. And here's the promise. The Holy Spirit will flow out of you as rivers of living water coming out of your belly. And the idea there is that the Spirit of Christ will come flowing into us, but then not flow out of us in some mechanical way as if we're merely some copper or plastic pipe. He won't flow out of us in some mechanical way, but the Spirit will flow out of the believer in such a way that the believer consciously enjoys Christ and has genuine religious feeling and conviction. Conviction and passion and enthusiasm and excitement for Jesus Christ so that the whole prison could hear when Paul and Silas, bleeding and beaten, lifted up their voices and with conviction they sang of Jesus Christ. That was the Spirit flowing out of their belly to the refreshment of others who were around them. Jesus is promising the Spirit. And He does that according to the teaching of the Old Testament Scriptures. For verse 38 says, He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You will not be able to go to the Old Testament and find anywhere this promise explicitly stated, but you find indications of it. I'll just give you one text as an example. Zechariah 14, verse 8. And it shall come to pass in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem. Living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. And what might not be so clear there, now Jesus makes very clear, not just out of the church as a whole, but out of individual believers, living waters will go forth. That's the Spirit. So here's the peculiar promise of the text. Rivers of water will flow out of your belly. And that's the Spirit. 
But how can that be? Because I'm a man and you're a man. How can the Spirit proceed from a man? And we're all sinners. How can the Holy Spirit proceed from a sinner? This is a peculiar promise. The believer must be connected to and draw out of the fountain who is Jesus Christ. And therefore, Jesus issues the stirring call to come to him. Before we consider this stirring call as such, we need to say something about the theology behind it as is being taught here in the text by Jesus. And one simple statement expresses it. The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. Let's take that apart. The thirsty. Jesus says in verse 38, Verse 37, rather, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Is there any human lack? As all-consuming, painful, and tormenting as thirst? Take a whole bunch of young people, the greatest amusement park in the whole world. And if they're thirsty, if they don't have anything to drink, not one person will be amused. All they will think about, it's all-consuming need a drink. All I need is a drink. Thirst. And here in the text, Jesus is not referring to a physical thirst. Otherwise, he would have sent all the people to the pool of Siloam. where There's plenty of water. But he calls them to himself. He's referring to a spiritual thirst. To be thirsty is to crave the refreshment of God's grace in Jesus Christ. For example, his refreshing, pardoning grace. Maybe you you were with some brothers and sisters from the church one night and you were all talking and some hot topic came up and you got all worked up and, and you became loud and bombastic and you went on a tirade and you were shouting and you were telling everyone how it is and it felt so good. I have conviction and this is what I believe. And then you wake up the next morning and you just feel awful, just awful. Your conscience is smitten. You know you've sinned against them. You behaved unseemly. You are not walking becoming of the gospel. You know you have to go apologize to them. And more than anything else, you know you need the pardon of God. And you thirst then. Nothing will make you happy. Nothing will satisfy you. You're a mess. Your conscience is so plagued. You thirst for the pardon, the sweet refreshment of the knowledge of God's grace in his pardoning mercy in Jesus Christ. Thirsty. And that's a blessing. Is a blessing to be thirsty. That is God's work of grace. Because by nature, we don't thirst after God and after his Christ. We hate Christ. We'll deny Christ. We'll crucify Christ. It's only by a marvelous work of grace that God makes us thirsty so that we feel the extreme poverty that belongs to us as sinners and we know we have nothing. There is no longing and craving of any human heart that is as strong as the craving 
of the elect believing sinner who is pining in his misery and sinfulness and longing for the refreshing grace of God in Jesus Christ, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. If any man thirst, says Jesus, thirsty, the thirsty partake of Christ the fountain. Jesus is the fountain so that all the refreshing living waters of salvation are contained in Him. Why? Because He's the appointed Savior of God. He's the one who came to take all of our guilt and our shame, to destroy the power of our corruption, to take the curse and the judgment that we deserve. He's the one who came to the cross and came under all that fiery wrath of God that caused him to cry out in body and soul, I thirst. I thirst, he cried in judgment. And he's the one who is exalted, raised from the dead, lifted up into the highest heaven. The Holy Spirit was given unto him so that he becomes the inexhaustible fount of all the grace, the riches of God's mercy. And therefore, he's the one who stands up during the feast and says, me, as he alone can, me, all knowledge, all assurance, all peace, all comfort, all joy, all hope, all refreshing water, it's all in me. Everything else in your life is a broken cistern. You will never be able to find enduring satisfaction in any person or in anything. There is only one fountain of life, me. Me, wherever the gospel goes today, it sets forth Jesus Christ as the fountain of living water. Me, the thirsty, then, partake of Christ the fountain by faith. Verse 37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And we don't have to figure out what the verb come unto me, and the verb drink mean. Because Jesus goes on to explain in verse 38 when he does not say, he that cometh unto me and drinketh of me, but he says, he that believeth on me. When you believe in Jesus, you're coming to him and you're drinking of him. By faith. So the believer is united to Christ by the unbreakable bond of faith established sovereignly by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit works in that elect sinner who's connected to Christ in such a way that his faith comes to conscious activity. As he knows Christ, he believes in Christ, he trusts in Christ, he comes to Christ, he drinks of Christ. And coming to and drinking of Christ the fountain, he receives that refreshing peace and comfort and joy and hope. The thirsty partake of Christ the fountain by faith. And thus, Jesus issues the stirring call of the text. Verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That's the call of the gospel. Come unto me and drink. 
that's not a well-meant offer. Jesus was not standing in the temple loving every single person in the audience, having a sincere desire to save everyone in the audience, and now freely offering himself to everyone in the audience if anyone would be willing to accept him. This is the authoritative call of the gospel. Come. Come. Drink. That's the call that must go out wherever the gospel goes, from every pulpit to every mission field. The gospel not only sets forth Jesus Christ as the fountain of living water, the gospel always includes its authoritative call. Come to Him. Drink of Him. Receive Him by faith. And here's the great mystery of salvation. When that call of the gospel goes forth, the Holy Spirit takes that word of the call, come, drink. And He sovereignly, graciously, irresistibly, and effectually carries that word of the call into the heart of the elect sinner and so works within that sinner that the fruit of His work is that the sinner does consciously, joyfully, and willingly come to Jesus and drink. God's work of salvation never violates our rational moral nature. God's work of salvation never treats us as senseless stocks and blocks. God's effectual grace goes forth, and the Spirit so works that call in the heart that the sinner cannot but know, embrace, believe, come to, and drink of Jesus so that he tastes that refreshing grace. There's knowledge. There's peace. There's hope. There's joy. There's comfort. I'm drinking of Christ. Come unto me and drink. Jesus issues the call to all of the thirsty. Verse 37, If any man thirst. If any man thirst. Let him come and drink. Some may be Jews, some may be Gentiles, some may be rich, some may be poor, some may be bond, some may be free, some may be male, some may be female. Some may have parents and grandparents in the line of the covenant who have always been believers. Someone may have come to the temple for the very first time and has never heard of Jesus. Parents and grandparents were unbelievers. First exposure to the gospel. Very first time the Holy Spirit is working faith in the heart. It doesn't matter who. If any man thirst. Anyone thirsting. Let him come. Come and drink. And let not any thirsty sinner exclude himself and say, I'm thirsty for Jesus, but I'm not worthy to come. No, you're not worthy. But the worth is in Him. And He's now calling, come. Come to Him. Drink of Him. And enjoy the satisfaction that is in Christ alone. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And what a stirring call because we read in verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and 
cried, saying, can't you picture him there with all those thronging multitudes? All of a sudden he stands up and all the heads start turning. And now he's not talking anymore. All his formal instruction is concluded. Now it's time to cry. And there's intensity and there's volume and there's boldness because they're, all, they're plotting out there to take him. There's boldness. It's so spirited. He has a belly too, you know. Jesus does. And when this cry goes forth, it goes right out of his belly with conviction and sincerity and love. There's so much love in Jesus when he issues this call. He sees his people pining in the misery of their sinfulness Thirsting by the grace of God working in them. They're thirsting. And now in his love, he starts crying out. It's loud so they can all hear it. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And woe be to that man who does not come. Who disdains Christ who has rivers of living water running right past his feet. Right past him. But he will not drink in his stubborn unbelief and rebellion. Woe be to that man who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God will abide on him forever. Come. Drink. Because that call is effectual, all those appointed to everlasting life will come and they will drink and they will be satisfied, refreshed with living streams. And now attached to that call is this peculiar promise, receiving that satisfaction of Christ, drinking of him out of your belly will flow the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water. How wonderful then is the fulfillment of this promise of rivers flowing from the belly. And that first occurred on Pentecost, which we celebrate this morning. Jesus promised in Acts 1 verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. The wonder of Pentecost as it were the heavens opened up and rivers of living water came flowing out of heaven. That was the Spirit. The Spirit has come. And read the book of Acts now from the perspective of this text. It's beautiful. Read the whole book of Acts. Wherever God takes the gospel into all the world and he brings the gospel into this city or into that area, as it were, he sets up a fountain of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all those ordained from eternity to everlasting life, God brings them to that fountain of Christ. He causes them to drink of Christ. They receive the spirit of Christ. And then out they go. And wherever they go, the spirit then flows out of them as rivers of living water as they make a joyful and spirited testimony of the Christ who saved them. So you think of Lydia. Lydia and the women, they're by the riverside. 
by God's grace, Lydia drinks of Christ, receives the Spirit, and then Lydia goes to live her life. And what a joyful thing to be in the presence of Lydia because rivers are going to flow out of her and it's going to be very refreshing. That's the Spirit. And pretty soon as the gospel moves through the world, the whole Mediterranean world, the Roman Empire, there are rivers flowing everywhere. And they're all coming out of the bellies of believers, testifying of what great things God has done for them. That's the spirit of Pentecost. What a wonderful fulfillment. And wonderful in you and me this morning. What? What is flowing out of your belly? There are many professing Christians who have flowing out of their belly a small trickle. And you can barely discern by their confession and walk whether they actually are Christians. They hardly look any different than the world. Or there are some professing Christians who have flowing out of their belly polluted streams of the filth of the flesh. They say, I'm a Christian. And you watch, out of their belly comes all kinds of corruption. And they love it. Now you have a belly. What is flowing out of your belly? And you must ask, am I drinking of Christ by faith? That's the source. Am I drinking of Christ by faith? Don't, don't disdain Christ. Don't ignore Christ. Don't constantly criticize the mouthpiece of Christ instead of drinking from Christ. Don't sleep on Christ. Don't spit at Christ. Drink. Drink of the Gospel. And God sees to it that His people drink and out of the belly flows the Spirit as rivers of living water. Isn't that wonderful for missions, for church evangelism, for personal witnessing? You think of the college campus, the workplace, the public square, and the believer goes into all these places and the Spirit's flowing. A believer goes to a, to a college campus, some public university, he thinks he, he's the only Christian on campus. But he's testifying of the Lord Jesus in so many ways, and that Spirit's flowing as rivers of living water. And lo and behold, he thought he was the only one. How many people come up to him or her and say, that was so refreshing to hear what you said, that that was the Spirit coming out of you. I love that Spirit. Let it flow. And how wonderful then for life in God's church here in the wilderness. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of heresies and false doctrine and corruptions and distortions of the truth and it dries up everybody's soul. But when out of the believer's belly flow the words of wholesome, life-giving doctrine as the Spirit coming forth in enthusiastic testimonies like a young man or a young woman coming into the consistory room and making a confession of faith and the elders say, now that's refreshing. It's like rivers running through here. 
The truth of God's word. That's the spirit. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of murmurings. Constant murmuring. And complaining. And fault finding. And criticizing. And griping. And nothing's good enough. And backbiting. And hatred and strife. And everyone's souls get all dried out. But when you have a believer who's drinking of Christ and being refreshed, out of his belly then flows the living waters of the loveliness of Christ. Listen. Listen to him. Listen to her. Those things that are lovely and true and honest and just and virtuous and praiseworthy and of a good report, That's what's flowing out of his belly. And that's the spirit. And it's so refreshing. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of expressions of unbelief. And therefore fear and fixation on doom and gloom and judgment and destruction and negativity. And souls get all dried up. But when you have a believer who's drinking of Jesus Christ... It doesn't matter how dark it is, how hard it is, how much affliction there is. He's drinking of Christ. Out of his belly flows the Spirit with enthusiastic, joyful testimonies. Why are you afraid? God dwells in the midst of us. The streams whereof make glad Now that's inspiring. That's elevating. How good to have the Spirit flowing. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of frivolity and folly and carelessness and even the dirty sewer songs of this ungodly world. But when there's a believer drinking of Jesus Christ, out of his or her belly flows sound, sober speech. The wisdom of Christ. Condemnation of what is base and deceitful. And the songs of Zion. And that's refreshing. Out of some bellies flow the foul streams of blasphemy and just wait. Till one more man stands up in the temple. He will try to mimic our Lord. The Antichrist is coming. And the epistles warn us. He will come to the temple of God. And he will stand up. And he will proclaim himself as God. And he will demand universal worship of him as God. And there will be lots of conviction and sincerity. Apparent sincerity. That that he's genuine and true. And he will speak great blasphemy. I am God. And masses will be deceived and they will come to this great man of sin blaspheming as he will blaspheme. But it's in that day that the Spirit will work very mightily and believers will drink of Christ and out of them will flow with conviction living waters. I'll never bow before you. There's only one king in heaven and earth, and it is Jesus Christ. My allegiance is to him and him alone. Go ahead, throw me in the burning, fiery furnace. My allegiance is to Christ. 
And that spirit will flow. And who knows who is living in unbelief in that last day. And we'll hear that testimony. And God will use it to bring them to Christ in the very last hour. Let the Spirit flow. Rivers of living water. How great is our God, the great God of heaven. He causes the Spirit to flow unto us. And then He so works in us that the Spirit flows out of us. And all of this is back to Him and to His glory. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. How marvelous is the work of God. Rivers flowing from the belly. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, for the Spirit we thank Thee, the invisible, personal, Lord and giver of life who dwells within us. Do not allow us to take for granted that great wonder of salvation that the Spirit, that someone, someone is in us, living in us every moment. Thy Holy Spirit. Now may He bring us forth out of this sanctuary and may we testify of Thy greatness and goodness to the praise of Thy glorious grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.